0: Alright, it's Matt, how are you doing? You're listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. Episode 60, in fact, so thanks for tuning in. And it's part two of my Hossegor Omnibus, recorded back at the end of September. In association with my friends at Varro, who took me out there for a couple of days to do some surfing and to uh, tick off a couple of shows, including this one with Neil McNabb, which is, uh, I must say, been a long time coming. Now, since I began this podcast... I've been getting a lot of requests from people asking me to speak to particular guests, which obviously I really welcome. So please keep them coming. It's a great chance to hear who people are into, who they want to hear from. So, as well as the usual names Gons, Kelly Slater, Nicholas Muller, Jones, both Jeremy and Jenny, one name has been coming up consistently, and that is Neil McNabb, this week's guest. Why? Well, because among the European and global snowboarding fraternity, Neil McNabb is a legend. He's respected as one of the world's great free ride guides, of course. But really, what people respond to with Neil is the way he's always followed his own path, which has been the case throughout his career. Neil has been part of the British scene, in inverted commas, since there was such a thing, really. Back in the day, he was a hard boot racer bashing gates. Then he became part of the early UK freestyle scene. He was a massive part of the early years of White Lines, for example. Then at the height of this, you know, big fish, small pond, British scene, notoriety, he took an abrupt left turn, firstly setting up the community camps, uh, which were summer camps, which were held in Disalp, I believe, back in the day. And then soon after McNabb snowboarding and pretty much spearheading The whole rider camp thing that is such a big part of snowboarding right now and is being followed by everyone from Neil McNair, Jenny Jones, James Stentford, for example. And that's what he's been doing ever since. Slowly accruing ever more bottomless depths of expertise and experience and introducing countless, I guess, thousands of people now to the joy of free riding and backcountry snowboarding. And this has really been Neil's life work. It's a life's work, sorry. It's a lifestyle he's shaped. To enable him to concentrate on the one thing which has, as you'll hear, been the driving force behind the whole thing the purity of the turn and the search for that indefinable feeling a good, simple turn gives you. So that's the basis of the conversation, but we also go way back, me and Neil. So we chatted a lot about the old days and how Neil got to where he is today. An interesting aspect of this part of our chat is hearing how an early flirtation with the boozy lifestyle was driven by a lack of confidence and an a sense of uh, unsureness of himself and that deep down he knew it wasn't really him now that perspective I must say was striking for me to hear because this was about the time I met Neil and I remember him from those times as a a giant really so confident, self-assured also it seemed to me at the time so it's instructive hearing him talk about how the opposite was true there's also another theme at work during our conversation, which is something that's been coming up time and again during the podcast. How your relationship to action sports and all the pursuits you love change as you get older and how if you're lucky and are open enough, that relationship might just deepen and mature with each passing season. That is certainly the case for me as my interest in action sports seems to get ever narrower and based upon one more particular focus as I get older, which is essentially when the fuck will I ever be able to do a decent turn on a surfboard. But the whole thing seems to get more satisfying into the bargain. And I really enjoyed that part of the conversation with Neil, and I think that's going to strike a chord with a lot of listeners. So this one, I did do things a little bit differently because I'd I'd had so many requests for an interview with Neil. I decided to take a few questions on Instagram um, and I asked a few of those to Neil directly. So if you contributed questions there, have a listen, because I might have picked yours out. But yeah, as you're going to hear, Neil's pretty much got it figured out and he's had it sus for a while. And that's why he's such an inspiration to so many people and why he's my guest for episode 60. So enjoy my conversation with Neil McNabb, in which we discuss his life in snowboarding and the purity of the turn. Enjoy. Neil McNabb, it's been a long time coming. How you doing?
1: Uh, really good, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we had a surf. We can say we surfed. We can say we surfed, yeah. Was, we got in the water. It was definitely too What did you high. call it? We had a bob about. We had a bob about. That's what Ruth calls it. That was definitely what we did. Um, and, I de- and you know, you had a nice sand blasting Yeah, I blast sand
1: in, in my uh, wetsuit.
0: Yeah. In the shorey. But um, it's, uh, it's going to be good, I reckon. I reckon you're going to score it.
1: Yeah, I think this weekend's going to be good, except I'm going to weigh, actually. Yeah, oh yeah, you go to Vienna. But, uh, yeah, what are you doing again? You're giving a talk at, so what I'm is it? So I'm doing a backcountry safety talk for Jones in uh, Vienna at the Snowvention.
0: Right, okay. So, so what's your talk Hopefully
1: they talk, this. understand English because my... Uh,
0: you have lost the accent. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise I it's going to be a really short I mean, talk. I've really lost mine. Every time I go home, everyone's like, Jesus Christ. You can tell you've been living down south for 20 years. But yours is still there, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, and you've got to keep your... Uh, got to keep, keep the, the roots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've been down here
0: a year is that it
1: yeah so we moved down here one year ago in on the first of august a year ago
0: right and um what you know it's a big move
1: because you're in chamonix what 20 25 years yeah i've been in the mountains since 87 so that's when i first moved out here and i've not really been back since uh so we're in the mountain i've been in the mountains for about 30 years and chamonix for 20 yeah 20 plus yeah so that's a
0: massive move what, yeah. what was the what was the catalyst for that
1: Well, it was quite a spontaneous decision. I just felt like my time in where the mountains defined my life was was long enough. Right. And uh, we were kind of talking, me and my wife, and we were talking about what we wanted to do, what we wanted to get out of life. And I really wanted to go surfing more yeah and uh, you know living in the mountains we're about as far from it as you can get so. yeah
0: yeah so it's been a bit of a shift
1: so yeah we just and we were kind of trying to make up a 10-year plan and then we decided that the 10-year plan would be two 10 years was too long and we wanted to do it now and by the next weekend after talking about the 10-year plan we'd pretty much decided to move and by the end of that 10-day plan. <laughs> plan um in two weeks the house was on the market and we'd moved here yeah
0: right wow that is punchy and you just, because obviously you got the two girls as well, who were in the teens, right?
1: Yeah, so we had kind of an opportunity, a window there before the girls started their exams and changed schools. And before they were yeah too involved with lifelong friends. Yeah. We had this kind of really short window where we could actually move. Yeah, right. And so we just took it, yeah. And naively we thought we'd sell our house, buy one here and that would be it. Yeah,
0: because your place is in La yeah. right?
1: Yeah, so we, we're still trying to sell that but we're renting here we're renting that out so everything's working at the moment but it was a little bit more complicated than we anticipated but all, right. all is good yeah we're really really enjoying it
0: well a day like today i mean what we on october the 5th or something i don't even know but it's 20 degrees it's, uh, yeah i mean
1: it's amazing and uh, it's it's pretty beautiful you know it, it was like this till christmas last year so at christmas day i was surfing yeah. below the house right you know, and it's just yeah it's, it's not a bad move
0: yeah so, so you feel like it's the right the right decision
1: yeah I mean I'll always love the mountains and I feel at home in the mountains when I go back to the mountains I f- and I get out in them I, s- I feel at home you yeah know, I feel really comfortable with them and uh but yeah it's you only live this once and you've got to make take the opportunities and I've done that I feel like I've done that yeah and I can still do it yeah but I don't have to live there you know it's like sure. it doesn't have to be my whole life yeah so th- I've made this move or we've made this move and now we're exploring something new I'm learning new things I feel kind of invigorated and excited about getting up and going surfing, you know, and yeah. it's changed also how I perceive snowboarding as well. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. How's that? Just that I take a more kind of a more surfier approach to how I want my snowboarding to feel, you know, so I'm, I've always been into turns and calves and banks and stuff but just that little bit more now you know it's like I see things as uh, things that I want to do on my surfboard that I can actually do on my snowboard right okay and so it's so, given you that yeah it's given me and like yeah you know, it's like last year was probably my most enjoyable season yet you know and that's after 30 years of riding 30 years 30 yeah. years of snowboarding and yeah, you're and still it, and it was like the best season I've done it and right. not just because it was good snow you know it was just the way that I rode and the the lines that I took and the way that I I was just happy to ride with flow rather than trying to challenge too much you know I was uh, not after super steep stuff and like aggressive stuff it was just flow and fun you you know
0: you've always been a big advocate of the turn haven't you and like technique you know you've always that's always something that you've really stuck to I think throughout your whole career as a snowboarder you've always I mean is that fair to say that's how it seems to me yeah I mean
1: for, for me I mean I yeah, basically, I, I leave the ground and I lose my balance pretty much, you know. I, I went through, I did some freestyle stuff in the past when a 360 made you a pro, you know. Yeah, yeah. But like nowadays, if I go up, yeah, I'm pretty like, lose my balance. You know, I don't mind dropping off things, but sure. But carving, it's just, it does something for me, you know, like turning, changing direction, that momentum change, hitting banks, carving lips, Yeah. You know, sliding the tail on the top of a lip. This, it just blows me <clears> away still, you know, every time I do it. And, and then... When I'm surfing, that's what, it, yeah, you, I'm trying to do that surfing as well. And it's just, yeah, it's almost unachievable. And then you do it and it's just yeah. like, oh my God, it just yeah, it blows you away. And yeah.
0: I mean, I've talked about this before. the
1: two is just, yeah, it's something else.
0: I've, I've talked about this before on the podcast. And I think it's definitely something that I've noticed as I've got older with, with actions, you know, with riding boards, basically. I mean, I got into it through skateboarding as a kid, wanted to learn tricks or whatever, you know, and then you get into snowboarding and, the age we were all at or whatever and you like you say you freestyle especially that british scene back then was very like freestyle orientated yeah and then as i've got older i've kind of realized that basically the whole thing is about turning isn't it you know like yeah in, i mean and, and it's there,
1: like i yeah i came through the racing side of things as well when i was when we were kind of growing up i wasn't really part of the freestyle scene at first i was more into just carving you know it's like when yeah. i first stepped on a board the way it turned and the direction change and how much you leaned over and that minute, yeah, you know, just that one edge carving yeah. in the snow, that just blew me away. And that was the feeling I've always kind of strived for, you know, and then when you take that into the mountains, the backcountry, it just, that, yeah, it's in its element. That's where snowboarding's in its element for me. Yeah. It's like fitting the line into the terrain and turning and carving and just, you know, floating off stuff. Yeah, it's so like you know, for me, that's that's just... Yeah, that's all I want to do, really. So yeah.
0: it's like an efficiency and movement thing. That's what you were into.
1: Yeah, just I just uh, it's like a flow. You know, when something feels perfect, it's like your body's in harmony, like everything's in tune with your board, with the terrain. That's when that you get your best run. You know, it's yeah, and um, yeah, just thinking on the move and just letting it flow and expressing yourself through how much you push on the edge, how deep you go. You know, and then, yeah, oh, it's, yeah, it's just amazing.
0: So, how, so where you know. Y- I remember those years when you were racing. So when, how did you get into it? Like, where, where, where did that come from? Is it from skiing originally?
1: Yeah, I mean, I grew up climbing. I was a climber, and climbing kind of took me to the mountains. Yeah,
0: because you're from Yorkshire, right? From Yorkshire, yeah, just yeah. north of Sheffield.
1: And uh, and when I was climbing in Sheffield, I moved to Sheffield. They built a dry ski slope there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and you could see it up on the hill. Yeah, with the lights on at night. So I went and, and uh, had a look at that, and I got a job helping build it and repair it. Right. So that I could. I ski. didn't know that, uh, right? Yeah, so I could learn to ski. And so I worked there and I did my ski instructors exams there. And and I'd skied a little bit with school, you know? Yeah. That's the thing that, uh, yeah. that
0: they used to do in it, take everyone off on yeah, school so trip. we did like
1: some school trips. And my mum was a teacher at school. And so fortunately I got paired up with the yeah the ski the school that we went to visit, I got paired up with their ski racer. Right. You know? As a yeah, pen friend. Yeah. So I used to go over there and ski with him and he'd come over and ruin his delicate french skin on gritstone outcrops climbing sure i got the better deal right but uh so yeah i was in sheffield i learned to ski pretty much yeah i did my ski instructor's exams and then i moved out the next winter i moved out to uh, france and i never went back right Yeah. So and i I skied taught i taught skiing and then uh that first year i got into snowboarding and where i was teaching all the guys there were hard boot racers you know so i just got into that and uh where was this? This was in a place called Vars, in the south of France. Okay, very French, and uh, it was good. But like, I'd been, I think I'd been snowboarding for three days, and one of the guys in the uh, school said, do you, "Do you want to do a snowboard course?" Right. And I said, "Yeah, I thought that'd be great, you I'll learn how to do it." Right. But I hadn't realised that course in French meant race. Sure. So after work, we went at night to the Montgeneuve and did this night slalom. Right. On this steep, icy piece I'd probably been riding three days. Jesus. And it was the French National championship dual <laughs> slalom. <laughs> right. Which I, I went through the finish line head first. Right. Yeah, but I uh, fortunately didn't qualify for the second run. So no wonder you
0: were <laughs> focused on your technique But then, yeah, <laughs> early but then on.
1: After that, I got into the racing and, yeah, and then, yeah. Went to the Brits, did the early British Championships, and r- I really enjoyed the racing, you know, and yeah. did the World Cup for, like, you know, four or five years, and sponsorship came, and... Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of all started to roll from there. Are know? we
0: talking, like, early 90s here. Early 90s, so yeah. So this would be when there's there's the, you know the british scene is developing you've got the mags yeah, the coming british out you've got an industry yeah. kind of like building and yeah, people definitely. can get sponsored and, and all. yeah that. so
1: i i got picked up quite early on i got picked up by burton at the first comp that i went to which passed to la casa like years and years ago you know yeah and then yeah and then from there it just kind of snowballed and i kept going and i kept Doing quite well, and I'd go to. I went to South America, and I did well down there. And, right. Yeah. I Think, and then you'd get some. Someone else would come on board. Yeah, and I had early days. Red Bull were on board, you know. And right. Then you Red, had Evian as well. I seem Evian, to remember. Yeah, well, Red Bull kind of was my downfall. Right. It was the Red Bull party days. Yeah. Which and,
0: is, I said this to you earlier. People who follow me on Instagram would have seen. I put a question, I put a thing on Instagram who has got questions for Neil. I did text a lot of our mutual friends when I said I was going to interview you and, and a lot of people wanted to, wanted me to ask you about that. Like the, you know, what, what, what was this transition from like you say, the party, the party years? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, before, before then, I wasn't really a party animal. I was like a serious climber and then I was a serious skier and then, yeah, I was a snowboard racer and yeah, I didn't party. I trained yeah. and trained and I loved training. Yeah, and I still do. Yeah. It's like fitness is like my, yeah, it's one of my things. Yeah, and then I kind of—I tr- guess I was—I wasn't part of the British scene, and the British scene was there. And I, I kind of, by what I was doing and being a sponsored rider, I became part of the British scene. Yeah, but I didn't really seem—I didn't really feel like I fitted in because I wasn't a freestyler. Yeah, but uh yeah, I got in with like uh, Simon Smith and Webster and those guys, and they just were party animals. Yeah, it was so, a
0: big, big part of that culture at the time. Yeah, so yeah. I
1: kind of fell into that and. I, I kind of fitted in the best I could, I guess. Right. You know? But didn't feel... But but I always yeah you know, knew it wasn't me. Right. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think you, I kind of... I feel like I got lost a little bit back then for okay. a while. Because
0: I guess what we... Would you have been in like mid to late 20s, maybe? Uh, That's was probably
1: like early to mid 20s. Okay. Yeah, I look older than that. Well, I'm trying <laughs> to
0: remember because I remember we, we would have met like, I reckon, about 95, 96... I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty. I really clearly remember meeting you at the Maribel Brits. Yeah, I remember going out with you at the Maribel Brits. Yeah, see, I don't remember the Maribel Brits. <laughs> which <laughs> was like '96, I think, maybe. Yeah, that was
1: probably my. Uh, I was. Yeah, probably deep into it. And though. I would
0: have been 20 then. So, yeah. and you're a few... So, yeah. I'm
1: 50 now. Oh, just coming up to 50.
0: Yeah, so yeah. you're... Okay, so you would... Okay, right. I'm just trying to place it, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So so you were basically... You kind of knew really that it wasn't...
1: Yeah, but then... It I, wasn't a role for you. I kind of had... A, there was quite a lot of pressure, I guess, you know, to because you, you, I suddenly became this name on the scene. Yeah. You know, and you kind of felt like you had to be someone, you know? Yeah. And, and earn it and... Yeah, I just kind of fell into this role that I wasn't sure about. Right. And partied, and then Red Bull came on board, and it was the Red Bull and vodka days. And
0: yeah, I remember them days as yeah, well. And
1: that kind of yeah, and Sony were on board, and I, yeah, I had some money, and I was like just partying. And yeah. Yeah, my career kind of, kind of became, a bit of a spiral, you know. Right. And then I came out of that, and Evian came on board, and I decided that the competition wasn't for me. It wasn't where my heart was right and i i was with billabong at the time i said to billabong you know i don't want to do this anymore and they were like i, I wanted to do free ride i just wanted to get out there and escape okay. and free ride and they were like yeah let's do that okay so and that was so what you
0: see so you even back then you had you had the idea that that was actually where yeah, you kind of heart lay kind of thing
1: yeah and I, that's when i moved to chamonix yeah you know? so i went to chamonix <coughs> and uh yeah i dropped out of the scene dropped out of racing and just started doing my thing you know which was just free riding
0: yeah well also you had community at this time didn't you
1: yeah so community was one of the first snowboard camps running really I mean uh, before that you had Charlie Snowboard Ian Trotter's thing Yeah. and uh, I'd say that was kind of like the first kind of time that I saw people could do something yeah with snowboarding right I mean he was way ahead of his time yeah 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 such a good such a good thing he had going there and uh, I guess that Inspired me to run summer camps myself and we set up community, and community led to McNabb snowboarding. Yeah, moved to Chamonix. We got a place there and we started running courses, free ride courses. Yeah, through a place there,
0: which was again like I'm guessing late 90s. Yeah,
1: yeah, mid 90s, mid to I think late 95 90s. was community started. And I think I moved to Chamonix '97 and we, we had a chalet straight away. Yeah and uh, yeah just filled it with season airs and stuff the first time and then we started running more courses the next year and then yeah we actually bought a place i think uh i mean if we did that now it would probably be amazing but at the time free riding wasn't quite big enough to support it all. sure yeah but uh no it was great you know
0: and it gave you the it gave you the type of snowboarding that you wanted yeah it
1: gave me the, it gave me a reason for doing what i wanted to do i started taking people out but i, I wasn't qualified as a guide i was a snowboard instructor yeah yeah so i did I, I helped set up the snowboard instruction system for Bazy. Yeah. I did the technical content for that and uh Yeah and then I was teaching on the mountain, teaching free riding and stuff, but when I wanted to go out of bounds I hired a guide. Right. You know, and I had a couple of friends that were you know, mountain guides that I worked with a lot and they inspired me to uh to get back into climbing and <coughs> Yeah, take know. that next step into doing my mountain guys exams. You know,
0: so had climbing taking a bit of a back seat at this during this period that you're describing.
1: Yeah, when I was uh, through the kind of sponsorship days, the competition days for snowboarding, climbing took a back seat. Right, because you
0: because you grew up, so you grew up climbing the gritstone. Yeah, presumably I grew up climbing grit and lime. In, yeah. But right, and then you. So, I just want to kind of place this really because it's such an important part of you know it fits in with what you're talking about about the guiding doesn't it and and obviously you climb to a really high level and like a serious level and mountaineering as well so when you how old were you when you got into climbing
1: uh, i think i started climbing when i was about six
0: right yeah. okay so from that, so that was your thing
1: and that was my thing yeah till about 18 16 right. 16 and you were yeah. serious about it yeah yeah i was like one amongst the top uh up and coming climbers in the country yeah and, so.
0: and you put up like you went to, did you do the classic sort of apprentice british climbing apprenticeship then
1: yeah we uh, grew up on the gritstone edges you know yeah out there with the midges and the wind and yeah yeah heli Hansen clothing and all that sure, stuff yeah. you know, I dreamed yeah. of owning some heli Hansen pants you know
0: yeah the uh the, the, the classic <laughs> the fleece yeah things. yeah i remember it well big, i lived in sheffield for years so, helmet, so that you know, scene was a you yeah. know it was it was it was a proper thing wasn't it
1: yeah so i grew up there and then as i got better you know i kind of climbed more and we went on to the limestone as the bolt revolution came and we started sport climbing and yeah yeah started actually training yeah and yeah and bouldering and training and yeah that kind of led to me coming out to Europe climbing yeah so we came out here a lot went to all the new sport crags yeah did some stuff in the mountains which we knew nothing about. Right. But as good climbers, we could climb the rock, but we just didn't sure. know the mountain craft. Yeah. So, yeah, we had a few epics where we'd climb a hard route, but we didn't know how to get off it and things right. like that, you know. So, okay. Yeah, we were a little bit naive, but I guess that's how you learn things, you it. know. Yeah. And so, and we did that, and yeah, it's got, if I look back at my career, you know, climbing led me to skiing, which led me to snowboarding, yeah. which led me Yeah, to where I am now. It's kind of like an obvious kind of progression, but at the time I didn't know where it was going.
0: Sure. So when you decided to get your guiding qualification, it was a really nice way of linking each of these Yeah, it's a guiding link everything
1: together. Yeah. yeah. I had to be a skier to guide, so it was a good job I I could ski, you know? Yeah. And I had to be able to climb to be a guide. Sure. So those two tools... were essential you know snowboarding was the only thing i didn't need to be able to do to be a guide
0: yeah right which is why it's difficult presumably for for british people to people
1: i think uh yeah it's it's turning around a little bit some snowboarders are managing to get through uh, on split boards now yeah uh in america i think they've done one or canada somewhere but yeah if you want to be a a uigm guide you've got to ski you know you've got to like in europe yeah. yeah. You've got to ski. So what's it like? you've got to climb. What's it like, that course?
0: It's notoriously very difficult, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I did the French course, so because I was living in France, in Chamonix, which is where it's based, Stenster's based there, the, yeah, the the guide school. And I figured that it would be more respectful for me to do their course and yeah. to do it their way. Um, so... I did the entry exams, which is kind of like an Ironman challenge to get in. Right. It's like a knockout system: climbing, ice climbing, boulder running, all this stuff. Yeah. And I, which I kind of enjoyed at the time. Right. You know, and then. Uh, Beasting. Beasting, yeah, you know. And I got through that. There was a skiing test as well. You climbed a mountain, skied down it. Right. And uh, got through that. Then did some uh, interviews. Right. Which I'd not anticipated. Right. And <laughs> my French was terrible, so. Right. Yeah, I went in there, and they kind of—you've got to have done. Uh, quite a lot of climbs and things to even apply. Okay. They're big climbs, at a certain level certain altitude, certain length, this sort of thing. Yeah. And they do you this interview to check that you're not just made it all up. Right. You know. So I got through that somehow. Right. And got accepted on the course, you know, and then it's, uh, it's like, about four years. Then quite intense.
0: So what and what, what are they what, like in the field, as it were?
1: Yeah. So you you do um, a common theory course in the classroom, which took a month. Which right. is something that everyone who works in the mountains in France does. Yeah, and that was quite intense because yeah, my French was quite basic. Yeah, and I had to do all these lectures and things. So I somehow managed to get through that. Um, and then you start yeah, just climbing and hiking and skiing and yeah. Doing all, yeah, surviving in the mountains, all this survival stuff and yeah, looking after people. You know, all the you you do some light like, days where you guiding each other, and then you do some days where you guiding actual. Uh, like pupils, you know, right. that have no experience. Yeah, yeah. And you might be climbing something, and one of the trainers, he'll say, okay, that that guy just broke his leg now. You've got to get him off here, you know. Right, so running through different yeah, scenarios. Yeah, running through different and things, you know. Yeah. And, then, and you start setting up a lane he says, no, you can't use that one. You've got to use that right. one down there. So know? they're basically like making sure... They just want to make yeah. it hard for you to check under pressure. You're not going to crack, yeah. you know.
0: right. Uh, Did you enjoy that?
1: Yeah, I kind of enjoyed it, yeah. Um, yeah, it was quite... It was interesting because of the French thing, you know, my yeah. French obviously got better in the four years. Sure. Uh, but at the beginning, it was quite difficult. I'd understand things, but I couldn't really put together the, you know, the sentences to join in with the conversation. Yeah. So it was kind of like a, almost a bit lonely, but really informative. Right. Uh, and then after a couple of years when I could actually speak, I heard one of the trainers say, oh, don't worry about McNabb. He doesn't say a lot, but he's solid. Right. So I thought, right, from that point on, I'm not going to say anything because I'm going <laughs> to blow it. You know? so, so that's so. where
0: that comes from, Neil. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I just, uh, I just, yeah, did my best and, yeah, I got through. I really enjoyed it, actually, yeah. 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 I got I- to climb with some of my uh, yeah, childhood heroes, like Patrick Berreau, Okay. Sadly, he's not with us anymore. But right. I got to just go rock climbing with him, with him for a few days, you know. And it's right. Just, yeah, it was incredible.
0: So, yeah, kind of probably the sort of situation that when you were a kid, you couldn't have really envisaged, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had pictures of him on the wall, you know. Yeah. And yeah, he yeah, was an incredible person.
0: And was it un- unusual for a British guy to do that or, or a British person to... I think
1: there's three of us have completed the system. Right. You know, since... Since when it began, I guess. Wow. So it's quite it's quite unusual. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a few more foreigners go through now, but yeah, there's yeah. not that many. Right. I mean, it's they have about 400 people apply every year and they take 10% of that. Okay. So that elimination test is to get rid of you know, 360 people.
0: Right. So it is very, very stringent. Yeah. So,
1: you know, if you get through, then it's normally on your merits as a climber and skier and yeah. in, on your mountain crafts.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like when you decided to do it, it was for you or you know like a way of expanding what you would try to do with your guidance you know with you with your your business and your snowboarding you know i got
1: as far as i could go with what i had yeah so as a snowboard instructor yeah i could go to a certain boundary yeah go to the yeah i could i could take people off piste yeah but i couldn't take them that next step i couldn't take them split boarding and i couldn't take them you know into the valley behind the resort yeah and things like this, yeah, there's a kind of grey area in snowboard instruction, ski instruction, where because they made the rules a long time ago and things have moved on. Yeah. Where, yeah, they made the rules when off-piste was off-piste, whereas now, yeah, off-piste is, is backcountry, you know? Sure. So there's, there's an area there where there's a grey area where you're not sure where you can go or you can't go as, a, as an instructor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But also, I also felt that even if I could go there, I didn't have the knowledge and the qualification. To back it up, you know. Yeah. I didn't know if I would be if something happened, whether I knew everything that I needed to know, you know. So,
0: right. So you were you were basically. And I
1: remember that I did one tour as a as a snowboard instructor. I remember getting out of the back there and I saw a yeah there was a guide that I knew and he said hi, you know, and I just thought yeah I probably shouldn't be here. Really. You know. Right. So you always have that
0: responsibility and, and yeah, kind you know, of and I like,
1: So I figured that if I wanted to do that next step, yeah, then I should. Just go and get the qualification, you know? And yeah. I didn't have any excuses, really. Right. I had all the tools to go and do it, so it yeah, was just yeah. a matter of getting my ass in gear and going and doing it. Yeah,
0: and then obviously one of the things that McNabb McNab Snowboarding is really known for is, is is the sort of, the amount of courses that you do and, and that are about those, taking people, uh, like, into into the backcountry and, into the, and out of bounds, but by skill, by the knowledge that you've got, so... You know, you can, you, can get, you can do like a kind of side country thing with you, but you can also presumably get pretty fucking scared if you want. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, I've done some courses
1: where, you know, the scariest thing is watching your clients ride steep terrain. I don't yeah. think there's anything scarier yeah, than that. Yeah, I bet, you know? yeah. Because there's nothing you can do about them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a guide, whether you want to put yourself in that situation is debatable. But Yeah. I've run some steep courses, you know, where we've done some pretty good stuff. And um, when steep stuff's in condition... It can be fine. It's when it's not in condition that it's scary, you know. So, yeah. like, yeah, I did a, I done a steep course and it was really icy everywhere. And so we just rolled, you know. It's like I'm not going to take people down something steep and icy. No. But the guys are like, oh, we want to do steeps, you know. So I took yeah. them down the ends of cool war. right? Yeah, and it wasn't in condition and it was steep and icy and it was yeah. a nightmare, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then that
0: sounds yeah, like a year later, I did shit. the same. <laughs> g- it was, yeah. You know? I was like, this is
1: just to show them, really, because yeah, I know yeah, they're probably yeah. not going to die if they fall, you know. Yeah, sure. But. Uh, yeah, and I pretty much lowered them down it on a rope, you know. Yeah. The first yeah. And then we did the same course the year later and we, we just looked out with the weather and we had this like perfect powder and we did Ensa Couloir from top to bottom just yeah. in a wanna, you know? Yeah, yeah. It. And it was amazing. We did yeah. Cosmic you know, in pretty much in a wanna, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, we did some amazing stuff. But yeah, it's it's a scary thing is having that responsibility for people that if they fall you can't do anything about it. Yeah. So well, I,
0: you have a huge client loyalty, don't you? in in your yeah, business yeah i mean I have you, you people have a that lot been of coming
1: back since 95 so
0: you must have some amazing relationships right with, with people yeah that so you, that most you... of the
1: people that come out i considered friends you know they, yeah, like and I, we speak about what we want to do yeah what we're going to do next year where we're going to go you yeah know? so and i'll put something online that i think is going to be good for them and interesting for me and yeah, yeah something i know they want to do
0: which which gives real real depth to what you do i think because you can really see that and you could really see that when i put the thing on instagram about questions that obviously a lot of people replied were well, clients yours and and really had a proper knowledge and you can really of what you do and you can really see like that that's what they're appreciating and, and buying into you know what I mean like this fact that they've been able to develop this relationship you know where their boundaries are they trust you to kind of help them enjoy yeah, the experience more which is kind of the perfect sort of guide yeah, client relationship isn't it, it is
1: yeah it's like on a lot of the trips I do I'll know everyone on the trip yeah and I it's Almost like I'm not guiding them, we're just yeah. sharing the responsibility, yeah. Know? And if there is a situation that needs guiding, I'm there, yeah. But for a lot of it, you know, I know that they're responsible, I know that, yeah, they're going to look after themselves. And if they say, Can I go there, you know, I'll say, I'll have a look at it, and I go, Yeah, I think you can go there if you just watch out for that, you know, yeah, and uh, I'll give them a yeah, a certain amount of responsibility people are coming on the first course is the backcountry intro yeah yeah you know, or slack country intro things like that they get less responsibility i tell them what to do when to do it how to do it you know? yeah and then as people have done more and more they the gaining responsibility and to the point where like we're a group of friends riding yeah you know it's like we go uh, a trip to greenland for example you know i go there as part of the group yeah you no know, it's not I'm not and I will be there and I'll say what we're gonna do and where we're gonna go and what we're gonna but I don't have to watch everything they do I don't have to watch them pack the bags I don't yeah have to, yeah they do that bit
0: yeah yeah because because that's what you've you've built with yeah. them we had a little, in, little, little 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 tiny interlude there we were talking about basically the relationship that you've been developing with with your oh, client yeah, that's right and and also the other thing is the the the, the locations because that seems to be the other thing that's one of the themes about what you do a lot of it's about exploring isn't it
1: yeah it is yeah i mean uh, going back to the clients thing it's a lot of these clients have kind of developed with the courses you know it's like when i started doing the courses that backcountry intro didn't exist yeah you know so we've kind of developed them together you know and, and i've seen how they've developed and thought what do they need next yeah so then we did backcountry free ride, you know and then we did advanced free ride. right so you would then we so did steeps you know so i've kind of developed the courses to fit yeah the clientele that i've kind of developed with you know right okay I've progressed with. so
0: the whole thing has been has been a, yeah, a big been kind of evolution what do we need
1: to do next Is evolution yeah so yeah I mean, the trips is an evolution of that you know so it's suddenly we were like we've done Chamonix or you know you'll never do Chamonix but you know, we've, yeah we've been there where do we want to go and where's going to be interesting to go and yeah where do they need where am I useful you know it's like we were talking earlier you know about I just dropped my Japan trip yeah you know yeah and, uh I just consider Japan it's not somewhere that I need to go with clients as a guide, you know if they want to go and ride japan i mean i, I went last year and we had a great trip, it yeah. was amazing fun, and yeah, we rode the powder and it, yeah, it was for me, it was great, but the amount I have to charge you know to get over there to hire a van to rent accommodations to do all of this there's people over there with a van, yeah, that didn't have to fly over that have got accommodation, you know it's like they can they know it better than I do, yeah, you know, and so if I think I kind of figure that. You know, it was niggling on my mind as well, the carbon footprint of flying there and all this. And I just was like, you know, if people want to go there, they can go there without me, you know? Yeah. I'd rather take people to places that it's something special that only I can take them to. Yeah. Yeah, that means a lot more. Hence why you're
0: loving exploring the Pyrenees then.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, we've just moved down here to Buritz and the Pyrenees are on our doorstep and i would never been there. Right. And we went there last year, which just happened to be a great snow year. Yeah. And it was amazing. Yeah. It's like incredible. There was no one there in the week. Absolutely no one, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you had the resort to yourself with 60 centimetres of powder on the piste. You know? And it's like, I've lived, yeah, I've been in Chamonix for 20 years. And yeah. You never get that. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: yeah, right. You ain't getting yeah.
1: that. Yeah, we'd get out of the car and go and have a coffee on a powder day and put our boots on inside. Yeah. You know? It's like, when would you do that in Chamonix? You'd miss it. You know? yeah. It was amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I mean, and the other thing that I obviously really want to talk to you about is anyone that follows you on, on Insta is going to know you're, you know, you are you are concerned about the environment and you've had this first-hand view of of the changes and for you it's a real thing isn't it and and I'm guessing the Japan decision was was part of that responsibility yeah I mean to add to that
1: I think it's hard to ignore now you know (coughs) it's hard to ignore the changes that are going on yeah especially if you spend time in the mountains you know well Chamonix is a
0: brilliant indicator isn't it because we were just talking when we went for a surf I mean I last lived in Chamonix a long time ago I mean it was i think it was like 2001 and we lived in Le Bosson, as you you'll remember like with james and everybody yeah. and all that and i mean when i went to chamonix two years ago it, it it might have even been the first time i've been back in the winter for about that like long i mean wow, i've just spent the, i've spent like the time traveling in <laughs> yeah. different places or whatever yeah. and i could not believe my eyes with like the glacier boss Bosson, you know like the, it's,
1: it's incredible it's like you can't compare it anymore you know it's like not even the Yeah, how much it's receded. It's the depth of the glacier, how shallow they are now. Yeah. Yeah, It's like the Mer de Glace now, you go into that valley there. I mean, when I did my guides course, we did like ice climbing and stuff on the Mer de Glace, just below the ladders. Yeah, sure. Yeah, And like, there's no ice there. Yeah. No, it's like, you can't, you couldn't even find anything to climb there. Right. You have to walk about a kilometre or two up the valley before you can find ice to climb on, you know. Yeah. It's just incredible, yeah.
0: So you're making these changes to try and, you know, at least have some contribution to to, yeah, to the I conversation think. and 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 to change you know to try and change I find, habits. I
1: think it's really difficult because you know whatever you do, there'll always be someone who says, "Yeah, but you do this and you do that and you go Hell in and then you do this," you know. Yeah. And it is you, you do sometimes feel you're a bit of a hypocrite, you know. But it's I guess the little things that you can do are the little things you should do. Yeah. You know? And if you if you do them and other people do them, then we will make a change. Yeah. And you know, and if they become more common, then they become a global habit then things will change, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I find it... I mean, it's, you go shopping and you come back and you've got... How much plastic have you got on? Yeah. You know, when did bananas need wrapping? They've got yeah. a wrapper on them. You know? <laughs> when did tea bags need put in plastic box? Yeah. You know, in a box that's yeah. wrapped in plastic and each individual tea bag's in plastic. When did we need to do that? Yeah. Surely it was a big pile of tea leaves in a warehouse at some point, you know? <clears throat> but, uh, you know, until we start doing little changes, the big changes aren't going to happen. So, you know you just yeah you got to try and do what you can yeah. We just bought a hybrid car you know so i drive everywhere at 60 kilometers an yeah. hour now because yeah. it's so slow but it's great you know yeah you spend your whole time trying to not use petrol yeah you know? which is you know it's fantastic but uh you know then you'll have someone say yeah but the battery did this and you cost this much and it was bad for the environment you know so yeah like, yeah however many wind farms you buy you'll always have someone say uh how many wind farms they build you'll always have someone saying yeah the the effects in a negative way that they're having you know but yeah i guess i don't know you
0: but know? you feel like you need to do this these kind of decisions like to to sort of try and take a bit of a leadership role almost really you know because yeah. you are very vocal about it you it's, know you are somebody it's definitely
1: that- yeah it's guiding in the mountains it has changed yeah in like i mean i guess i've been in there 20 years now and it's changed you know it's like i don't work in august anymore because it's too dangerous. i consider it too ga- dangerous in the summer when I'm climbing guiding. Yeah. I just don't work in August because the mountains are falling down. Yeah. Yeah, August used to be the key period. Sure. You know, it's like now I don't work. I don't even take work in August. Right. I'll work in June, July and I'll work in September. Yeah. Well,
0: is it wasn't there a massive rockfall in Chamonix it's like a, a week ago? Rockfall every day, yeah, yeah. in Chamonix.
1: It's cra- yeah, it's crazy. Like whole mountains are falling down.
0: Yeah. You no. Know? What well, amongst your peers then, amongst the guiding community which you know you obviously a big part of what 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 is the chat like what are people saying because it must be people <laughs> everyone's that everyone's
1: have... kind of in disbelief you know it's it's changed from you know guiding has changed from in the summer especially from looking after your clients to not getting hit by a stone fall you know really not yeah, yeah it's that bad it's that bad yeah right yeah you know
0: and and do people are people beginning to think that it's almost unsustainable
1: I mean there's always going to be mountains to climb you know you, yeah. can, you choose your routes and you choose your period to climb them and that's, right. that's always how it has been but it's yeah it's a lot more uh, it's a lot more important now you know Yeah. Like you, you look at things and you just go yeah we're not doing that right you know you just yeah it's the same in the winter you know it's yeah you're making your choices of where you ride in the winter based on what you see and what you know you know what the conditions are what the history is know what the weather's doing you make you take all this i think as someone who lives in the mountain all these things are kind of instinct yeah you know it's like i get in the van in the morning and i drive to work and by the time i've i've kind of made my decision i get up in the morning first thing i'll see is there any wind you know yeah. what's happening and by the time we get there i know what's happening and i know what the conditions are like and i know where i'm gonna go right but then i'll, I'll also have like a plan a, a plan b a plan c and as i get on the train i'll change things depending what i see you know what i feel
0: okay you know? yeah and that's just obviously experience you've accrued really isn't it That it yeah. you to do you that know,
1: yeah i think so i mean i would never consider myself an expert yeah a backcountry expert because i don't think you can be sure you know? but the more knowledge you have the more uh the better decisions you can make based yeah. on what you know you know it's like yeah. you're trying to balance everything on the side of safety and if you don't know anything you can't you know so yeah. the more you know almost the the less you do, you know, because you see more. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's a pretty zen attitude, and it's uh, something that presumably you learn the older you get. The 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 yeah, more true that becomes.
1: Age probably has a lot to do with it as well, you know, because you you're less pushed to try and do things that you might have tried to do in the past. I guess as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. Should we do a couple of questions? Because I did. Go I got it. I got loads um, on the guy. There's a couple. So I got one from Gordon Mills. This is on Instagram. Um I heard that McNabb snowboarding once rescued the entire French army from an avalanche. Is this true? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's not true. No, I've been involved in a few rescues in the past. Yeah. I rescued a British army team. Right, this must be this must
0: be what, what they he's were talking all about. Stuck. Right, where was that? Uh
1: just had a kind of just one of the peaks in Chamonix. Right. Yeah, was, they had a terrible kit and one of the guys at the back had slipped off on an ice ice slope and yeah his boots had pretty much come off he had these crappy boots and the whole team was stuck with him hanging on the back right and uh as i went past i I was just going i was quite near the summit where where was it my team it was above uh above la tour okay on the uh glacier de tour yeah the chardonnay way right and uh i figured they were okay as I went past, so if they were still there when I came back down, I'd go and help. Right. <laughs> I came back down and they were still in the same place, so I just wonder. I tied my guys to something and I went over there and just sorted them out.
0: Right. Yeah. And but you had... you Nothing really. You had a f- rescue on um, Denali as well, right?
1: Yeah, I did a trip to Denali climbing and uh, we had a lot of bad weather on the trip. We didn't get to climb what we wanted to climb and spent a lot of time in the advanced base camp, Yeah. which is pretty mind numbing. Yeah. And uh the some Koreans had been up the day before in a big storm and one of them had got had fallen and been left on the mountain somewhere. So me and my friend we went up there and we found him. Right. And uh he looked dead, you know, he looked like the dead guy on Everest with the gloves missing sure. and the jacket open. Right. And uh we checked his pulse and he woke up. Right. And then passed out again. Wow. And so we wrapped him up and we dragged him to the edge of the mountain and lowered him down right down for about eight hours blimey to the high camp right uh the uh rangers from the camp came up and helped us so there was, i think there was five of us in the end in the rescue in the rescue right. we got him down to the high camp and then we carried on down to our camp and then the next day we went back up and helped get him down to the next camp right and then uh the weather cleared i think the next day and we went to the summit right and went home okay yeah
0: are you still in touch with him
1: <laughs> no I never heard from him again he was in the he we got him down to the high camp and the next day to advanced, advanced base camp, but he was still pretty much unconscious. Right. And uh, then I think on the sunny day, they flew him out and we went to the summit. So when right. we came back, he'd gone and we, yeah, never heard from him. Yeah. But uh, it's, I mean, it was, it was an experience, you know, it was, yeah, it filled in some time as well. Sure,
0: <laughs> right. Um, what ambitions have you got left for your climbing? Because obviously you've got a few notable, you know, there's one, you know, a, a, iconic ascent what what have you got left
1: um, I mean now it's ironically since we moved here my uh, girls and my wife have got into bouldering right climbing you know and they climb as soon as you leave Chamonix that is so Chamonix, funny isn't it and they literally climb like three or four times a week right if not more you know and uh, so I have got back into bouldering as well
0: okay nice and, that must uh, be a nice which is great you know.
1: we've got a bouldering wall really close to the house here and uh, yeah it's really good fun to get back into it but I do feel, and I did have, a, there's a lot of things I didn't climb, you know? Yeah. That I'd like to have climbed, but they're in condition so rarely now. Right. That uh, I've, And it's so dangerous when they're not in condition. Right. But I've kind of lost the appetite for that. Okay. And, yeah, it's like with my snowboarding now, I just want to have fun. Yeah. You know, I want the riding to be great. And when I'm climbing, I just want to climb nice. Yeah. Movements on rock are in the bouldering wall. And so I'm not, I don't have like a climbing goal of achieving this level or that level I just want to climb as the best I can and be satisfied by what I'm doing
0: so it comes back to the flow thing that you mentioned earlier can you do you see that in each of the disciplines and that's something that you try and and attain
1: yeah yeah. when I'm bouldering now I mean I've always loved bouldering I love the movement of the feeling of movement on rock and pulling hard and yeah tension and all that stuff yeah just flowing on it and yeah sometimes it's that hard you can't flow because you're at your max yeah you know but it's yeah it's about that flow of movement and it's the same snowboarding the same surfing as well yeah you know surfing's like my new big passion you know try and surf every day now you
0: sounded like a grommet earlier when you were describing that wave that you got the other day you were were like you were probably i can see you were frothing
1: I caught the best wave of my life. I came out of the water. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I just not felt like that for so long. Yeah. You know, so is that amazing.
0: also making you kind of like reevaluate your turn? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's like these the surfing. It was like it. Com- it was the first time surfing's compared to my best ever snowboard run.
0: Right. You know. Wow. You know, something was, else oh, to aspire to.
1: Yeah, and that makes me want to snowboard better. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my question for you, as somebody that's you know been with a lot of snowboarders over the years what's the one thing that that an ordinary snowboarder could, snowboarder could do to sort of improve their technique
1: oh, i mean it's it's easy you know you've got to learn to ride with your feet you know it's like the snowboard one of the things when i was teaching my daughters to snowboard was i said to them you know, you're not trying to turn the snowboard you're trying to bend it it's designed to turn you know the snowboard's designed to turn that's what it does. And all we have to do is bend it and manipulate it with the feet in the right place at the right time to make it do the turn you want to do. You know? So if you can think of it in terms of you're not trying to turn it, you're trying to bend it, it just changes everything. You know, for me, that's Yeah. That's kind of my look outlook on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can turn it if you want. Yeah. But like if you don't have to, if you just bend it in the right place, it'll do whatever you want it to do. Right. Okay. You
0: know? So that, is that something that you try and is that like one of the insights you are trying to give your clients basically
1: yeah totally i mean it's not to me it's about is the, i guess there's three things as the how you stand and your body moves yeah. it's simple biomechanics yeah you know? so yeah listen to your body yeah bend the board so that it turns and takes the the line and the turn you want it to take and then the last thing is the line that you want to take with the mountain you know so it's combining the line that you see on the mountain or the, yeah, the expression you want to make on the mountain. That line, is fitting the three things together. Yeah, you know, it's like bend the board in the right place, have your body in the right place to bend the board in the right place to take the line you want to take on the mountain. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. let the line control your speed and flow. Yeah, you know, rather than having to check the brakes on and all this stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. So do you feel like where do you feel like you are on that? On that kind of you know, you've described that really sort of nicely. But yeah, I mean, and it's, it's a life's it's work. control
1: isn't it? of. Speed and line, the line that you take is dictated to a little bit by the mountain and a little bit by how you're feeling. Yeah. You know, and um, that n- you're never going to change, you're never going to succeed because every time you ride the mountain, you can take a different line. You know? Yeah. So you n- there's no end to the progression. Yeah. You can just change the line. You know, you can go a little bit higher, you can go a little bit faster, you can carve a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. So. Once you've got the biomechanics, the feeling of the biomechanics, and you understand how the board works, yeah, there's no limits, yeah, absolutely no it's limits. It's a really
0: lovely three-dimensional view of snowboarding that. It's a really, <laughs> yeah. nice, you know, what I mean, like it really yeah. is, I mean, isn't it? Because it's, it's t- kept
1: me going for thirty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I st- like last se- like I say last season was my best one yet. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, another really big theme was fitness that people asked me about. Um, gym at surf perimeters right it's gym isn't yeah, it yeah Jim. yeah yeah how have you adjusted your daily workout regime over the years um to encompass all your outdoor passions surfing snowboarding cycling climbing i'm guessing yoga is going to be part of this answer yeah
1: yoga has been something that i i brought into my life about 10 years ago now yeah and up till then, I'd thought of it as just something, you know, the girls did. We went down and had a chat and a lie around and, yeah. you know, I went down with Ruth to one of her classes and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done, you know. Yeah. I was sweaty, shaky, having to use the wall, trying not to knock everyone over, you know. And I was like, okay, there's something in this, you know. I've always stretched because when I was young, I did taekwondo and stuff like that, you know. So right. I've always been quite flexible, hamstrings-wise, but my back, negative flexing when my back's really poor. Yeah. And climbing and stuff and... Uh, I just I got to the point where my body needed work I think you up to a certain point your body looks after itself if you look after it a little bit you know yeah so you, you, when you're young you can kind of do anything get like away that. with you it get away with it yeah you know? and I've always fitness has always been a big thing so I always trained and I'd go if I was trying to do something yeah. I'd train for it so if I was climbing something and I needed to train harder and get stronger I'd go and get stronger for it you know I'd do pull ups with weights on and all this stuff uh, when I was snowboard racing, you know, I'd go to the gym and we'd do a lot of leg pressing and get strong legs.
0: Yeah, so you always, you, you always had the mindset for yeah, it. Yeah, so I always yeah, adapted yeah, my an appetite training
1: into what I was trying to do. Yeah. And then more recently, I stopped doing the gym stuff and I started to just look at what my body actually needed. Okay. For, you know, rather than trying to, I don't know, try and do something that was maybe it didn't need
0: yeah like blindly do a gym session or you know go for a jog or whatever you're actually trying to look at the relationship between what you do to how it, what the outcome is
1: yeah and i I think i've probably there's certain times where you need to go back in and retrain certain things because your body gets a bit one side it's like now i'm surfing a lot so my legs aren't getting a lot of training and i'm climbing a lot so my arms and upper body are getting a lot but my legs aren't so when I come to snowboarding this winter I'm gonna have to start doing something with my legs yeah so I'll start running I'll maybe start doing some squats and things like that okay right uh yeah you just to get your body prepared for what you want it to do yeah I I feel like my body's always in some kind of period of adaptation to one of the sports that I'm trying to do yeah no
0: yeah what about diet
1: um um I kind of eat anything yeah no I try not to eat too much sugar uh yeah, I try and eat a lot of veg and stuff. I do a lot. Of, I make a lot of smoothies. Yeah, you know a lot of. So if I want veg, I put them in a smoothie, so it disguises the taste. And stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. And true. True. Northern lad. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. Still got that. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. So you, you not. Know, it's not something that you like. Proper. It's more about the physical.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I eat a lot. Yeah, I eat a lot, and I eat often. Well, you need to the amount you, know? you do. So, yeah, I just try and eat the best I can. Yeah
0: okay i've got another one where's left for you in snowboarding in terms of destination you are a well-traveled man you know you've been Uh, absolutely
1: everywhere i mean there's a lot of places that i haven't been and i haven't explored um but you know what i I quite like the idea of exploring closer to home now yeah the the pyrenees for example and also the alps you know i spent a lot of time in chamonix but now I don't live there. I don't have to go there all the time. You yeah, know, it's like when you lived when I lived there, it made sense to work there all the time. Yeah, whereas now I don't. I don't live there. I can go anywhere I want. Really, you know, it's, there's no advantage to going to Chamonix except for the terrain that I know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I want to explore. The, the alps a yeah. little bit more you know i think I'm g- over the next few years i'm going to try a few new places a few different countries get out of the french alps yeah you know, and just explore around there you know i always look on google earth at stuff right yeah so I, that's kind of how i find out where i want to go a lot okay so yeah. if you find a new destination yeah so just, i've been looking at a few places yeah even the resorts you know like uh, around innsbruck and places that i just don't know yeah you know go there and just have a play around and see what you can find there's so much terrain close to home yeah uh, I love going up to Scandinavia. I yeah, you up there Like lot Norway, Sweden. Yeah. I mean, the train up there is just incredible, and that whole summit to sea stuff. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, so I, I'll always go up there. Yeah. But yeah, I think in terms of like long trips, I'm not quite sure if I right. do many more of those. I'd really like to go to Canada and places like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, again, in terms of making it work with clients, yeah, there's people over there that. Can offer it cheaper. So Could do it's it. Difficult. See if it's, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like why? Why? I basically I can only go somewhere if I take clients with me because I yeah. can't afford to go <laughs> go there unless I'm getting paid. It's not a bad gig, though, yeah. is it? It's, yeah. So
0: it's not a bad blag
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's done me proud up till now. Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> right. So that exp- exploratory thing is that something that you kind of bring from climbing, you know, like that enjoyment of just looking at a map and a new area and thinking, right, let's see what we can do.
1: Yeah, I think. Um, I've probably done it more with snowboarding than I have with climbing. Right, you know, just it's like Greenland, for example. Yeah, I'd look on, on the Google Earth at Greenland. You know, yeah. where can we fly to? Right, we can land there. Where can we get to from that landing strip? We can get to these three locations that suit what I want to do. You know, you need certain things. You need a lot of different aspects. In case one aspect's working better than another, yeah, yeah, you, know, you need to be able to from a central camp, you need to be able to get to these aspects, you know. So there's only a few places near the airstrip that will suit that. Okay. You know, and you find right. those, and then when you fly in, you have a look at them, and you go, right, at that one. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same. I mean, even looking at the Alps, you know, I was looking at, at ski resorts on Google Earth to see what the terrain looked like. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Using them tools. Yeah, using yeah. those tools.
0: Yeah. I got a couple from Italy actually. It's not about the necklace. <laughs> Although, actually, I'm gonna ask you that one because somebody somebody put that on Instagram. I think you're probably gonna know him because it's the sort of question that. Let's have a look. Richard Whedon. Yeah, yeah. If you wore a word necklace today, what would it say? I don't this know. is a reference to Ed in his first interview, yeah. saying that. You had you wore no, a necklace no. that said "fuck off." Yeah, it? is that right?
1: I don't know. Yeah, maybe the the, the, the last weekend years. Yeah, the lost yeah. the last years. Yeah, I know that either myself or Simon Smith had that necklace. So yeah. I thought I had one that said "alcoholic," <laughs> but I might have had "fuck off." I'm not sure. Yeah, um, now I'd probably have I don't know, peace or something like that. Right, something gay. You know. Yeah,
0: from Ed, um, what what's the most natural snowboarding talent you've coached? Who is the most natural snowboarder in talent you've coached? Good question. It's a bit of an ed question. Yeah, I
1: don't know. I mean, I've, to be honest, I've not coached people for a long time. You know, I get some riders that come in to my camps. Yeah, you know, my backcountry courses that are just like yeah, really natural riders. Yeah. But uh, I haven't coached anyone for a long time, so I wouldn't really be able to say. Yeah. Yeah. In the kind of that competitive sphere or in the coaching sphere, I've not really coached for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, the other one from Ed is the story about mortality rates of guide and chamonix true somebody's told me somebody told me it's only two percent of guides make it to retirement age that can't be true it can't be true no No.
1: i think i saw some statistics the other day of something that's out of a profession i think the death the mortality rate is something like four percent or five percent out of the profession which is pretty high i think in normal in normal professions it's something like 0.01 or something yeah you no, know, so it's pretty that's, high. That's why he's
0: getting confused, I
1: think. Yeah, and it's yeah. about. I think that would it's be more about the. That'd yeah, be pretty punchy. A thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. of hundred people. Like, yeah, we'll stop now. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, I've I've lost a lot of friends in the mountains, you know, and yeah, friends that I thought, yeah, you know, they're like, yeah, so good and so strong, you know, that they nothing will ever happen to them, you know, and they've, yeah. they've gone, you know, and right yeah it's it's a dangerous place and it's the choices you make i mean one of my best friends died and he was making all the right choices all the time he was my mentor you know who's that uh ralph tenbrink okay you know it's just he was one of the undestructible ones right you know and he got caught by an avalanche from a serac you know just walking underneath it yeah. absolute chance just absolute freak absolute freak you know? yeah and uh yeah it's, it makes you think about what you're doing here you no, know, it's like this move down here. It's like you want. We only live once. It's not a practice. You know, yeah. get on with it. It's like you see these people work their whole lives and then they die, and no one ever said, oh, "I wish I'd worked more." Yeah, yeah. You no, know? yeah. It's like, yeah, get on with it.
0: Is this some an attitude that you're getting more as you get older?
1: Probably. Because you, you, you. Yeah. Are you fifty? I'm fifty this year. Yeah. Yeah. How
0: are you feeling yeah. about that?
1: I love it, you know. Yeah, not um, asked. Yeah. You don't strike me as someone that'd be as asked. long as I can do what I want to do. Yeah, you know, it's like I get up in the morning and I ache a lot more now than I used to. Yeah, and I do a like we were saying earlier. I do a lot of yoga, you know. So sometimes I get up and I yeah, it takes me about ten minutes before I can touch my toes or whatever. But yeah, yeah. As long as I can get up and I can do what I want to do, I can go surfing. I, you know, most of the days now I go surfing and I go climbing. Yeah, you know, those two things and they're pretty intense on your body. Yeah, and at fifty, if I'm climbing at a high level and I'm trying to surf at a, as high a level as I can you know which is pretty low, but you know as long as I can do the things I want to do and keep doing them then i'm um, I don't care about age, you know yeah you know it's as long as I can do that and I'm determined to look after myself and for as long as I can until and keep doing the things I want to do you know yeah
0: well it seems like you you know big theme seems to be you just keep making it work for yourself you keep you 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 seem really open to the changes that you need to make to keep enjoying it to the fullest potential you know what I mean like it's yeah
1: yeah I mean I definitely I think your goals change I'm not as I don't demand as much out of my body as I used to you know because I'm older you know and I know I know what my limits are but when you the adrenaline fires up and you're in there and you want to do it, you, there's nothing going to stop you, is there? You know, it's yeah. Like, whether you're like 50 or you're 20, you know, when that adrenaline pumps through your body and you, you're getting that feeling back from whatever you're doing, it's it's like you're a kid again. Yeah. You know, it's like the wave I caught the other day. There was like, it was just effortless. You know, yeah. it was like, my god, it was amazing. Yeah. And to someone else, it was probably crap. <laughs> you know. I had the same experience in Ireland. It was, like, in it Ireland. was incredible. And I'd never like, done anything like it. the you know? Same
0: experience in Ireland. Got a wave at e Ski. Yeah. And I got one wave. Like yeah. there was a lot of better surfers out there than me. Yeah. Like, like I was saying, my level of surfing, it ain't like I go to somewhere like that and stop dominating the peak. You know <laughs> what I mean? I'm like, so I, I, you know, I'm I'm around waiting for scraps. But I got yeah. I got one, and I was, yeah, I was shaking afterwards. It's amazing. Yeah. It's
1: like I was buzzing for hours. Yeah, I was. Like, I was hours. like, and
0: I, and I, you know, I'm I'm still at the point with something like surfing where I'm like, almost can't actually believe that i can you know what i mean like it's oh, yeah, like w- totally. wow, wow i actually did that that Is was that like amazing yeah you know, it's
1: like the turns that you make on a surfboard easily rival the best turns you'll make on a snowboard like easily you No, know, even even if it's like a really short you know five seconds that you're up you know and you do a couple of calves it's just like oh my god yeah it's amazing
0: yeah yeah i love it this brings me to the final question and it's a classic one that i always ask everyone classic looking sideway like it's particularly relevant for you um because of the amount of activities that you do. So yeah. I'm gonna include everything in this yoga, <laughs> climbing, surfing, skiing, yeah. snowboarding. If you can only do one more, what's it gonna be? One more. Yeah. If you if Forever. It's like, yeah. Uh
1: right now it'd be surfing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you'd say that. Yeah. Yeah. And snowboarding.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can only choose one. <laughs> only one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it'd be surfing for the moment, yeah. 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 I'm just loving it.
0: Brilliant. And Neil. It's, uh, and it's uh, affecting everything else I do. So yeah. That's uh, great. That's been epic.
1: Okay, great. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thanks for doing it, man. So there you go. That was my interview with Neil McNabb recorded in Hossagor at the end of September 2018. Big thanks to my friends at Vero, particularly the two Johns once again for taking me out there for this one. While there, I also recorded the third part of my Hossagor omnibus, an interview with my friend Dave Mailman, which will be the final part of the whole thing. I'm going to put that out next week, all going well. And well, it's an emotional one, that. Dave is an industry lifer who over the years has worn just about every hat going in his pursuit of the sideways life and I think that's going to be really instructive for people. I do get a lot of requests for episodes with people in the industry so people can work out particular paths and if they can get a job in the game and and that kind of thing and Dave's is probably the most um, exhaustive account of that with a lot of lessons in there but He's also a cancer survivor, Dave, and I was extremely privileged to speak to him about that part of his life. Like I said, it was a beautiful, bruising experience, that conversation, Um, for both of us, I think, we both got quite emotional during that one, Um, and uh, yeah, keep an ear out for it, it's a good one, I really enjoyed it. So anyway, Housekeeping Corner, turns out quite a few people do actually listen to this bit, which always surprises me, because I wouldn't blame you if you just, you know, drifted off at this part. But anyway, I'm going to stick with it. I'm off to Kendall this week to attend the Kendall Mountain Festival. I'll be there for the entire few days. So if you see me wandering around, please do come and say hello. I've had a couple of people recently have sent me messages saying, oh, I saw you at such a thing. Just come and say hello. Nice to meet people that listen to it. Always really enjoy chatting to people about the show and what they enjoy about it and what they dislike. Always great to get the feedback. Anyway, Kendall, looking forward to getting stuck into the whole thing. Going to be doing a few podcasts as well, I hope. Hoping to speak to another much-requested guest during the show. Don't want to jinx it, but I'll keep you posted for that one. I'm also looking forward to checking out the UK premiere of Free Solo, Alex Honnold's much-lauded film about his uh, ascent of El Capitan. Um, I'm going to attend Snow Night on the Saturday, which is looking like a must-attend event if you're looking forward to the winter. As part of that evening, there's the UK premiere of Otomure the latest one from Jeremy Jones, an on-stage interview between Jenny Jones and Billy Morgan in which they swap notes on what it's like to be an Olympic medalist and an on-stage conversation with my old guest, Anne Floor Markser, about her award-winning film, A Land Shaped by Women. Yeah, it should be a good one. There's still time to enter my contest to win tickets to Snow Night. So if you want to do that, head over to my Instagram page over at We Look Sideways and enter there. Now elsewhere in Housekeeping Corner, I've just got a request actually really i've not done this for a while but um i thought i should again and basically the request is really if you're enjoying the show and are goggling at the sheer amount of work involved in keeping it going which definitely seems to be a theme among the feedback feedback i get please help me keep the whole thing going by doing one of the following simple and really helpful actions right the first one buy some merch Not sure if you've noticed, Christmas is on the way and that means people buy a lot of shit. Now, if you're about to take part in our annual festival of consumerism and are wondering in which direction to throw your hard-earned dollars, allow me to point you in the direction of the Looking Sideways store. You can find it over at www.wearelookingsideways.com under the shop tab and you're going to find some rather fetching hoodies and tees you can purchase and perhaps gift to that Looking Sideways loving friend in your life. Now, I don't earn a fortune from this, But it does help because, you know, even something like going to Margate for the weekend costs money. So, you know, even if I can lob it in the petrol fund, it really does help. Second one, sign up to my newsletter. Again, you can do this over at www.wearelookingsideways.com. You're going to need to check your spam or inbox to sign the follow-up email to actually get added to my mailing list. A step that seems to defeat literally hundreds of people each month. But if you do manage to navigate this complex sequence of events, you will be rewarded with a weekly email from me in which I share the five things that have caught my eye that week. Latest episodes, bonus episodes, edits, articles, points of interest. It's basically a digest of what's happening in the wonderful world of action sports and other related endeavours each week. People seem to dig it. I've got a high open and click rate newsletter fans. Uh, so check it out. I also do the occasional promo with brands and friends of mine, like the air discounts I've done in the past. So yeah, newsletter, do it. Third thing, follow me on social media. Now, it doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? Let's be honest, we're all on social media all fucking day long. If that twat of a thing on the new iPhone OS update is anything to go by, which every Sunday gives me a depressing little message about how much I'm on social media, I imagine that's the same for everyone else. If you are, you're probably going to look at it after you've listened to this. Head on over to Instagram, We Look Sideways. Twitter, We Look Sideways. Facebook, Looking Sideways Podcast. Follow. And then once you're there, share your favorite episode and maybe tag a couple of people you think will enjoy it. It's pretty obvious, but it's super effective and it really helps me. I mean, I can't afford to advertise. I've done a little bit of advertising, but this thing is already... Enough of a money pit. So that works in lieu of advertising and it's going to take you about 30 seconds, which I think is fair enough. Final one, number four, leave me a review. Now, to be fair, a shitload of people have done this. 220 odd ratings, I think, at the last count, including one solitary two-star bad boy, which is pretty intriguing. Um, I think 107 actual written positive reviews. They're not all from my mates. Um, Now, way, way back in the day, I was going on about how this might help get me on Apple Podcasts featured section, get me on Spotify and all that. I think I've realized that's a complete load of bollocks because neither of those two things have happened, despite me having far and away the most positive reviews of any similarly related podcast out there. So who knows, eh? But people do still check them out. and It does seem to give new listeners confidence in the show. So yeah, Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, that's it. What else is going on? I'm still chatting to a couple of brands about possibly working with them in a way that keeps the editorial integrity of the show intact and brings in enough revenue to help me uh, take it up a level. I'm also planning a couple of interesting looking things for 2019, including uh, much hinted at three-week Odyssey around California, which I'm currently discussing with my friends at Visit California, hoping to tick off a few of the legends. I'm also going to film a few. I did do a poll on Instagram. Got like a 75 percent 25 percent response to that a lot of people were very against filming the podcast actually it did pretty much boil down to like well i just don't look at youtube which i guess is a good enough reason to think that i shouldn't do it um but equally a lot of people do seem to listen to podcasts on youtube if it helps me get to another audience i think it's worth a little go it's obviously yet more work but um i'm going to go to california with my friend owen Toza. And I think we're going to try and do a little California season of um, accompanying video edits to go with the podcasts. So, um, yeah, hopefully that'll work out and and be of interest. If it does, of course, I will be pointing it in your direction. Anyway, big thanks for listening to this one. That outro slash housekeeping corner turned into an epic. So congratulations if you've listened all the way to the end on what must have been the driest bit for a while. And I'll see you next time. Nice one. (coughs)